Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. What's up, my favorite Talking Points listeners? I'm Brian Kelly, the Points Guy, and today is episode two of our special Delta Week. If you haven't heard, episode one dropped with some exclusive Delta Sky Miles and Amex news. Amex and Delta announced they're completely revamping their entire portfolio of co-branded credit cards starting this January, but we have the news now, so make sure you check that out. And then head over to thepointsguy.com slash Delta Cards for all the details in text on what's in store for their whole co-branded portfolio. But on this episode, you're in for a treat. We recently stopped by the Skiff Global Forum, which is the largest travel industry intelligence and marketing platform on the planet. They provide news info, data, and services to all sectors of the industry. And that includes airlines. So lucky us, we got this exclusive one-on-one time with Ed Bastian, the CEO of Delta Airlines. We talked economy. Over the last two years, we've been in the top 25% of growth companies in the Fortune 100, Delta Airlines has. Delta's future. The biggest thing you're going to see at Delta is you're going to see the face of our airports change dramatically. And more. We made a decision as a company to freeze our carbon footprint at 2012 levels a number of years ago. And to this point, we've grown as an airline 25%, yet our carbon footprint has remained intact. Here's episode two of Delta Week on Talking Points with Ed Bastian, the CEO of Delta Airlines. Today, we've got the CEO of the largest airline in the world, by revenue at least, the CEO of Delta Airlines, Ed Bastian. Ed, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Brian. Good to be with you. You know, you've been at Delta for a while now, and Delta outpaces its major competitors in a lot of different metrics from on-time arrivals. And, you know, as a frequent flyer, if you ask around the TPG office, there are tons of hardcore Delta loyalists. How do you describe the success you've had at the airline and the performance in competition to your peers? Well, you know, when you go through a restructuring process like we did, it's pretty humbling. You know, you, you wind up asking yourself what's really important. You know, what, how did you get in trouble as, mm-hmm. as an industry? And it wasn't just Delta. The industry went through a very difficult uh, restructuring phase. And it was very clear to us one of the reasons why we got into trouble is we lost the connection with our own people. Mm-hmm. The Delta people are everything in our industry. We, we love to talk about our industry, about the planes and the technologies and the airports and Everybody has a, all the same. It's truly the people that make the difference, that put the exclamation point mm-hmm. on the service and said, we need to get back with our people. And so when we went through the restructuring, we also said that we need to get bigger also, mm-hmm. you know, because we went through a hostile takeover attempt yep. uh, with the U.S. Airways. So, you know, the first thing we did is we, we got out and we, we bought Northwest so that we had a, had a complimentary partner that we could we could go to market with. And to this day, you know, those Northwest, not just the, the leaders, but also the territories and the regions and Minneapolis and Detroit and Tokyo and Asia has been powerful mm-hmm. in terms of transforming Delta. Uh, we needed to give our employees the tools to do an awesome job with reliability and performance. That first year following the merger with Northwest, we internally called it the summer of hell in mm. 2010. Uh, we had airplanes constantly out, constantly broken, you know, a lot of cancellations. We had 6,000 cancellations 
that year alone for maintenance. Hmm. We said, we've got to cancel cancellations. And I'm proud to say this past year, our maintenance cancellations were down to 60, 60, wow. from 6,000 wow. to, to 60. So a 99% improvement in maintenance And when you say giving your employees the tools, was that investing in the actual workshops, like investing in you know the technology that they have on their hands to identify maintenance issues before they become a cancellation? Well, yeah, a lot of predictive engineering mm-hmm. technology, just a lot of root cause analysis mm-hmm. as to what was failing, having the right tooling, having the right parts on hand where they were needed, uh, rather than having to wait six hours for a part to be shipped to a different location. And really engaging the people. And it took us years to go from 6,000 to 60. Yeah. It, wasn't, it wasn't overnight. But what it did is it provided a foundation of reliability. So this past year, we had 250 days of the year without a cancellation for any reason, wow. maintenance, weather, or any reason. No one in the industry is starting to get anywhere close to that. And the other thing, Brian, that we did is that culture and values and the spirit of service is really precious. Mm-hmm. It's something that I always think is our most important competitive advantage. When you give people that are really passionate about serving customers a crappy product to serve, they get angry. Yeah. They get angry, right? They're angrier than the customers. They, they're not good at apologizing. They're not good at trying to explain what went wrong. Mm-hmm. They want to make things right for their customers at all times. And so when you talk about losing the heart of your people, the easiest way to lose the heart of people who love to serve is by giving them something that they can't serve with. So when we eventually got to the point where the tools and the reliability and the performance, they were just so engaged with us, and it allowed us to put a kind of a punctuation point, a smile, on the service level. Delta gives profit sharing uh, to employees. Recently, you gave, what, a 4% bump across the board to most of your staff. Like, how much of that plays into them being happy versus you know, the good product and all of the other things. Is, is the profit sharing key to Delta success? Well, two things. First of all, we're committed to our people get the best pay. They're the best performers. They need to have the best pay. The 4% increase went to recognize our people in a couple of categories to make sure everybody knew, knows that we feel like they're the best performers at what they do and are compensated accordingly. But even more important than the pay, even more important than the profit sharing, is they want to win. Hmm. You know, they want to have the tools and the support and the investments whether it's in having uh, an improved catering process. You know, catering is still an area that we have a lot of you know, opportunity mm-hmm. to improve in, whether it's in a wheelchair service for customers. Now, you're, you're down to the smaller items. Yeah. We've got the, got the bigger issues fixed, and these are the things actually that are drawing my attention. How do we make certain the cabins, while they're clean, are even cleaner? Mm-hmm. How do we make certain that all parts of the family, not just the Delta employees, but, you know, the contract staff, mm-hmm. you know, are engaged with us to provide a better service experience for our customers. You know, some airlines, I won't name them, are cutting back on cleaning. And how do you pitch it to your board, because you're a publicly traded company, that it is in the best interest of shareholders to invest in these things, even though, you know, they're quite costly to do that. You know, I know other airlines, you know, it's everything is just numbers on a spreadsheet, and it seems like Delta takes a different approach. Do you think you've earned that credibility from the board now to know what the long-term investment is? We certainly have. And and our strategy as a company is to be a premium brand. Mm -hmm is to to derive premium revenues and take that premium that we get and reinvest it back into the business and technology and cleanliness and airplanes and airports, wherever we can. And each of the last 10 years, we've been doing that. So we're on a journey to continue to get better. You know, the one thing that when you're on a continuous improvement journey, you realize is that there's always more to do. Yeah. There's always, always improvement you can make. And then we continue to see the improvements come, and, and our customers recognize it. Our people are happier about it. They see that we care about their work conditions. Mm-hmm. Right? We care about the 
what their break rooms look like. We care about that there's adequate reserves for them to be able to work a difficult summer schedule. We care about the technology in their hands that it works. You know, a few years ago, we had a fire in our technology center, right? And mm -hmm. you know, we, we've got a, a brand new facility up. You know, so it, there's a lot of things people don't see that mm -hmm. go on behind the scenes. It's all focused on providing the best opportunity for your people to win financially, quality of work, and then get out of their way mm -hmm. and let them delight customers. And, that, and that's the secret sauce. You know, I was recently at your headquarters and I was blown away by the tech ops and you now have an engine repair business that seems to be booming. You know, you have an oil refinery. Is it safe to say like Delta Airlines is now a parent company for so much more? And are there going to be new investments in non-actual airline activities? You know, like do you plan to open up more engine repair shops? We do. The MRO business that you're mm -hmm. talking about is, is the largest in North America. And uh, we're going to double that in the next few years. Mm -hmm. And there will be organic growth opportunities as we build out our engine specs on the new gear turbofan and, and the new Rolls Trent platforms. But there could be acquisition opportunities to, to fold in there. I don't know. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's something that we think about. You know, we always want to make certain that the acquisitions and the growth of the, of the enterprise are adjacent to what we do. Mm -hmm. They're not unique in themselves. So the refinery, while it's, it's unique, the reason we did it was to try to reduce our fuel costs. And we've done that by putting more supply into the market, and it's kind of kept our, our jet fuel cost at bay, which has allowed us to keep our pricing to customers at bay and continue to grow the airline. You're going to see us uh, look at mobility in a broader sense. Mobility is so important in everything you, you see mm -hmm. in the technology world. A lot of it's centered on mobility. Well, mobility affects us in various ways. But the, the core is a lot about, you know, kind of what's going to make the experience of our people better. And, mm -hmm. that, and that's why we do what we do. What's most exciting to you looking five, ten years out in the travel experience from Hyperloop or, you know, driverless cars to drones taxiing people from Hartsfield Airport to downtown? What do you think in reality, we, you know, as travelers, we can expect to see in the next five years. So I, I have a little uh, more pragmatic vision uh, over the next five years. I don't think you're going to see Hyperloop taking over <laughs> over the downtown connector. I'd love to see it happen. Yeah. I just think it's much further out. But what I think you know, the biggest thing you're going to see at Delta is you're going to see the face of our airports change dramatically. Mm -hmm. We've done a lot to improve the flight experience for our customers, the seats, the product on board, the cabin environment, the service they receive, the Wi-Fi, the, the entertainment options on board. Mm -hmm. But it's the airports is where the bottleneck is. That's the stressor for our customers. And we've got new airports going up in LaGuardia mm -hmm. and LAX and Salt Lake City and Seattle. We're modernizing Atlanta and Minneapolis and Detroit's getting going to get a facelift at some point. And we're creating, and in, in even in the smaller markets like the Raleigh's and Austin's, you know, kind of looking at what we can do there to, get, to enhance the, the facility. It's not just the airports, it's the clubs, mm -hmm. you know, the environment that we have for our premium customers to go into the lounges and, and be able to escape the, the airport just a yep. touch and, and provide a little calm. It's going to take a number of years. It's the most difficult construction that exists mm -hmm. because you've got to build on top of your operation real time while you're running at peak levels. But the product at the end of the day, I think is going to be amazing going to change the security apparatus. We, you know, our airports for, were built for the 1960s yeah. environment, and we're building for, you know, the, truly the next century. You know, speaking of clubs, I think that is probably Delta's Achilles heel today. You know, I fly all the major carriers. You know, United's Polaris lounges are pretty stunning. You know, sit-down service in a true business class, you know, non-crowded environment. American has done a pretty good job with flagship, especially dining mm -hmm. for first-class customers. Yep. I think the Sky Clubs, you know, they, they can be packed. It's a one-size-fits-all sort yep. of experience. It seems like you're alluding to that changing. How quickly can Delta One suite passengers expect a personalized experience away from someone 
Well, that is contemplated as part of the rebuild mm -hmm. of the airport. So whether it's in LaGuardia, whether it's at LAX, whether it's at JFK, whether it's in Atlanta, we have plans in all of those big mm -hmm. markets, the big international markets and gateway services to create the Delta One experience. You're right, uh, we're a victim of our own success. People want to be on Delta. We made the lounges another reason why to be in, and now they're crowded. And we got to find more space, and we got to build out together with our partners, American Express, what they're doing with the Centurion Lounge, and you know, is, is a perfect example. We can, we can be side by side with them in, 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 in some markets. Mm -hmm. uh, airport space is at a premium, and uh, it's tough to allocate the kind of yeah. lounge space that you'd really like, given the, the limitations yeah. in the gate plots, but as we create bigger gate areas and bigger gate holds, because I've talked a lot about, you know, flipping the airport around. People don't need to be spending time in lobbies anymore. They mm -hmm. want the first point of contact they want to make is with the security process, get through security, and then have a much bigger gate plot to serve and, and provide amenities. We're going to be doing that in the next few years. Speaking of victim of your own success, you know, the new Delta One suite, I just flew it on a 777 from LA to Atlanta the other day, and it's a great product. I, I was on the first flight to uh, Tokyo when it, the A350 launched. That being said, Delta was the first to have live flats across, you know, 100% live flats across the Atlantic. But now when you look at those 767-400s and the, the tiny seat that sinks into the ground, compared to your new seat, it's a huge Delta, no pun intended. Are you happy with the speed of refurbishments? And We're going fast. The so 767-400 is in the process of being refurbed as we speak. Mm -hmm. So by the end of this year... Those 400s are going to be rolling off the assembly line, and by next year, they will be complete. You're right, the 400s were the very first product that we put the live flats mm -hmm. on, so you know, it's a lot of generation of improvement. I've you know, flown them many times. Many times, <laughs> and I have too. Ten years ago, it was pretty cool. Yeah. Today, it's pretty tired, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and we, we recognize that. But the new experience is going on all of our international aircraft. Speaking of aircraft, do you miss the 747? I do. Yeah. I do a bit. I, I love that upper class. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I spent a lot of time in that airplane. I, I uh, made a lot of trips to Tokyo when we first bought mm -hmm. Northwest to get to know the market, and we were doing something with Zhao. I think one year alone, I made almost 15 trips to, uh, to Tokyo. So I spent a lot of time on that old seat, which mm -hmm. is one of the reasons it was one of the first Upper airplanes deck, that, that we... 62K or no, yeah. I forget which... Yeah, yeah uh, it was, my first time to Japan, I flew Delta both ways. And yeah, it was a business cabin seat. It certainly wasn't Delta One or wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't even a flatbed. Yeah. But when we put the flatbeds in, it made it a private mm -hmm. experience, really. I, I thought that was classic. I have to ask, I'm an A380 lover, and I know U.S. Airline ever did or will order it. Did Delta ever seriously consider the A380 as no. for the fleet? No. Yeah. <laughs> we have partners who have it. Yeah. <laughs> I, and I, I love the airplane. I fly it a lot. It just doesn't make economic yeah. sense. You know, some of the things you must be thinking about is an economic downturn. There's also, um, you know, environmentally flight shaming that's now mm -hmm. kind of taking off in Europe. What yep. are the biggest threats to your business? Um, is it the economy? Is it the environmental impact of flying? Well, those are two important factors. Certainly, sustainability is key. I think mm -hmm. that is an existential threat, and we're doing an awful lot, replacing planes rapidly. Every, mm -hmm. every uh, airplane we take out of the sky and put a new airplane in, you know, it's 25% more fuel efficient. This year, we're going to have 80 new airplanes entering the fleet. Next year, we'll have another 80. We'll have, we'll have the domestic fleet renewed here over the next couple of years. We, uh, we made a decision as a company to freeze our carbon footprint at 2012 levels a number of years ago and to this point we've grown as an airline 25 percent yet our carbon footprint has remained mm. intact 
I mean, that's, that's one of the things yeah. we're doing. Eventually, we need to reduce it, but any growth we have as a company is being offset, and whether it's through the new engine technologies, through uh, use of biofuels, which we're starting to learn and invest in, or elimination of single-use plastics, electrifying our ground equipment, those are all things that are contributing every year to kind of 1% to 2% year-over-year improvement mm-hmm. in overall fuel consumption. Fuel is 98% of the footprint that we create. So it's appropriate that we take this thing and I think get much greater visibility mm-hmm. towards what we're doing and much greater accountability as a result. On the question on the economy, the economy is doing well. Question wherever you go, how long can this yeah. last? And it, it continues to last. The U.S. consumer is healthy. The U.S. consumer drives, you know, the majority of our business it drives, you know, 70% of the U.S. economy yeah. is the U.S. consumer. Travel, as you know better than anybody, is a huge growth mm-hmm. uh, vehicle. You know, people think about travel in the airline specifically as a relatively mature industry that's yeah. gone through a lot of volatility and a lot of difficult times. I see its future as really bright. Over the last two years, we've been in the top 25% of growth companies in the Fortune mm-hmm. 100, Delta Airlines has. And we're continuing to grow this year. We're growing at you know, 7% a year in terms mm-hmm. of total revenues. You know, our economy may be growing 2%. Yeah. So think about that, where in the old days, we used to try to meter our growth based on where GDP estimates are. Yeah. We're now expanding for lots of good reasons. Yeah. You know, customers are demanding yeah. the opportunity to fly. Yeah, I mean, it's a great time for airlines. Growth is good. Economy is good. I do want to bring up, you know, the Middle East Airlines and the, versus the U.S. Airlines. It almost seems, as a flyer, and I fly all airlines for our business, it seems the battle, it seems kind of unnecessary, Um you know, especially since, you know, the Middle Eastern airlines are not having as good of economic fortunes as you. You know, and I know the recent White House meeting that you didn't go to, does that signal that this fight really isn't as important as some parties make it out to be? Or truly are the Middle East big three an existential threat to the U.S. economy or airlines? There's no question they're an existential threat. No, I don't think anything has cooled relative to our, our interest here. What changed was last year the administration signed agreements with the UAE as well as with Qatar that would essentially lock down any growth they'd have in what's called fifth freedom flying. While we have basis to object to their flying from the Persian Gulf to the U.S. as many times a day as they do, all Mm -hmm. subsidized by their governments, that is what it is. What we cannot have is them using fifth freedom rights to fly from Europe to the U.S., from Asia to the U.S., from other parts of the world to the U.S., and bypass the traditional routings of not just the U.S. airlines, but the international airlines as well. That would be an incredibly inappropriate use of subsidies. You you mentioned the 380. The 380 is a plane you love. (laughs) Unfortunately, it's done now. And the reason it's done is because it was built on false economics. It was built on subsidies. You know, mm-hmm. the, the Emirates, the UAE subsidized that airplane. They built their entire business model around that airplane. It couldn't go anywhere else to any place that wasn't subsidized. Mm-hmm. No one had the financial might to make it work. You know, Open Skies is predicated on free and fair competition, giving both parties the opportunity to compete mm-hmm. without interference. Well, when you got $50 billion of subsidies that you're fighting against, so the, so the threat yeah. long-term is less the Persian Gulf. Yeah, It's more if these airlines decide to fly from Paris to New York or yeah. from Frankfurt to Atlanta or from Munich yeah. to San Francisco. What are we going to do? Yeah, Are we just going to turn over? Because they're all subsidized. They're all paid for by the government. And are we just going to turn over our traffic rights mm-hmm. to these carriers? I don't think so. And that's the fight, and that's why we're, we're watching Air Italy, yeah. uh, which is performing miserably. They're losing <laughs> hundreds of millions of dollars, and hopefully it'll fall under its own weight. Yeah. But we got to have transparency and accountability. You know, the tariff issues are, are a big deal in yeah. the world today, whether it's China or the WTO. We think our issue here is really important for the future of the U.S. aviation industry. 
All right, let's take a quick break right here and we will be back. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Switching gears a little bit, so you just signed a new deal with Amex, and we've got a lot of the Delta Amex customers. That's a huge driver of growth for you in the co-brand space. How do you keep that growing with, you know, capacity on planes increasing, you know, a certain amount each year, but with so many new co-branded card holders and well you know we are the fastest growing segment of the entire american express portfolio uh we are i think close to 25 percent of their revolver mm. portfolio that they maintain is sourced out of delta the growth of the delta brand the delta card is lock and step mm. with american express's growth as an enterprise so i think we both have that opportunity and when you take a great brand like american express and all the, the value in the brand and the creativity of its people with Delta together, we've got great ideas. You know, we're going to be you know, looking at what we can do to continue to, to launch and relaunch you know, the platforms. And there's work that Sandeep and the team are going there. You look at acceptance. AMX still has a lot of opportunity internationally mm -hmm. you know, to enhance acceptance, and, and they're going there. Consumer spend, as I mentioned, is healthy, particularly in the U.S. You know, AMX is growing mm -hmm. close to double digits uh, year on year. The, Delta portfolio is growing on top of that at an even higher rate. So, you know, customers love the value that the card provides. They love the fact that they've got Amex standing behind it. And it's our responsibility to give customers even greater value for the currency. And that's why you see us investing in using currency for other means, not just the purchase of frequent flyer trips, but also you know, purchases on Delta yeah. or purchases for upgrades or, or anything else that you can think a currency could be uh, utilized for. And even Clear, I know you guys invested, what, 7% into Clear. Clear is in a lot of the Delta airports. You know, expansion and acceptance on that platform is still key for a lot of people. Is yeah. that something you're pushing clear to be in more and more airports? Yeah, they are They are anxious to be in more and more airports. It's really some of the airport authorities yeah. have space limitations to kind of carve out. And yeah. it's seen as a premium service in a lot of airport authorities don't yeah. don't necessarily think that clear should be given preference over some of their other security queues. So we've got it in most of our major cities. And um, that's something you're going to continue to see expand. We've done well with that investment. We've already monetized a portion yeah. of it. It's good to see United come in. It's not a platform yeah. that we think should be exclusive to Delta. Waiting in lines less is a good thing for everyone. All right, let's end it with some fun things. Delta's expanding the route map. I was actually originally booked on the JFK Mumbai inaugural, but I had to move my trip up. You know, and Delta flies to tons of destinations. What Delta destination do you fly to to get away from it all? West Palm Beach, Florida. West Palm Beach. I've got a home down there. Nice. And uh, when I'm in West Palm Beach, everything is, everything is better. <laughs> And final question, when you're, you know, flying in economy on Delta, are you a window or aisle seat person? I, I'm very much an aisle seat. Yeah, I guess yeah. that gives you a better vantage point of what's going on. Keeps, keeps, but, you know, I'm, I've been sitting in 33E a number of times recently, so I'm, I, I find the middle seat more than you would more than you would imagine. <laughs> what, do you get uh, the 1,000 SkyMile bonus for the middle seat? I, no, I, don't, even, I don't even get that. Are you, do you have a SkyMiles account? I, I do not. I, actually, actually <laughs> I, I shouldn't say that. I do, but I, I haven't looked at it recently. Uh-oh. 
Ed Bastian is a miles hoarder. This, we got to change this. You got to use those miles. No, yeah. no. It's a. Uh, I fly coach because I, I like to see what's going on. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I think it sends the right signal to our customers as well as our own own employees in terms of how we we value our customers' time and and seats. But I always walk away with interesting stories. You know, people uh, people you know spot me back there and you know. All the time, I never, I never get away with it, <laughs> and it's engaging. They find it entertaining, and I, I meet a lot of people. You know, a lot of our customers that fly out front for business are flying in the back for personal yeah. or, or other use, or you know, using miles or yeah. whatever they do. And so, there's always a good interchange between the cabins. It's nice. Uh, it's nice for us to uh, to be humble and human, and uh, I think people yeah. people are entertained by that. Certainly. And one final question. So it was announced you're going to be keynoting CES, the Consumer Electronics Show in Vegas in January of 2020. The first time an airline CEO is ever keynoting. Do you know what you're going to say yet? Can you give us any any hints? The the, the themes were going to be putting the C back in CES, putting the consumer back in the electronics show. I was out there last year and I I shared the stage with uh, Ginny Rometty of IBM and it was part of her keynote. And the one thing I walked away from is it's really very much about a lot of electronics, a lot of mobility, a lot of gizmos, very little about the consumer. Hmm. We're bringing the consumer back into electronics and making the consumer travel experience that much better. Awesome. Ed Bastian, thank you so much for joining us on Talking Points and safe travels. Thanks, Brian. Good to be with you. Many thanks to Ed Bastian, CEO of Delta Airlines, and his awesome team on the ground at Skiff Global Forum. Skiff Global Forum, now in its sixth year, is the largest creative business forum in the global travel industry, with more than 1,100 attendees from 40 countries and more than 550 companies. This episode of Talking Points was recorded at the Shops at Columbus Circle, located in the heart of Manhattan. It offers some of New York City's best shopping, dining, entertainment, and views of this beautiful city and Central Park. It's an iconic indoor and public destination that attracts over 16 million visitors, both New Yorkers and tourists, annually. It's the place to dine, shop, live, entertain, work, and be entertained. Thanks to my own team at TPG, my amazing assistant, Christy Matsui, Scott Mayerowitz on our editorial team, Wallace Cotton on our social and community team, and Nat Rowe on video podcasting. And to my podcast crew, Margaret Kelly and Caroline Chagrin, you guys amaze me. I'm Brian Kelly. Safe travels. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.